good. All right. So uh, today I want to talk about resurrection. Resurrection. And pray, Lord, for sticky words this morning. Yeah, so um, I spent a couple of days a week uh, in my role as a, as a scientist in a, in a research lab, and there's nothing that scientists like better than evidence. Am I right, Robert? Evidence. Especially, especially if it's evidence that, uh, you know, helps prove the story that you want to tell rather than evidence, you know, that disproves it. And even better, even better is if it's evidence for, for a story uh, that actually makes a difference in the world. Like, um, like if you, you know, discover evidence for a new cancer therapy, you know, that's a good feeling. Or if you discover you have evidence for uh, an environmentally friendly way to generate energy, or whatever it is, evidence that your invention works. Hey, David. Um, yeah, Evid- evidence, evidence keeps the story going. Evidence open up, opens up new possibilities. Evidence reveals secrets, or more often I find in science that it, that it kind of leads to more mysteries. You find out, oh my goodness, there's more stuff we don't know. And, and evidence for the resurrection of Jesus is like this. It builds and it encourages our faith. It keeps the story going. It opens up new possibilities or more mysteries. Most, most historians recognise that Jesus existed and that Jesus was crucified. But to claim that he was resurrected, that's, that's a shocking claim, isn't it? And yet there's, and yet there's evidence. If it's not true, then all of this is nonsense. <laughs> Coming to church on a Sunday morning, all of it is nonsense. But if it is true, then Jesus is, is the real deal. Uh, Tim Keller, who I'm going to quote from a little bit this morning, from this book, I'll refer to it a bit later. Tim Keller, he said, If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? Mm-hmm. So last Sunday, if you were here, we were really blessed to have uh, Alex and Hannah Absalom speak. And, and their message began with one of the gospel accounts of, of Jesus' resurrection. And Alex, uh, he highlighted some of the evidence for the resurrection. And so today I want to sort of to riff off that a bit, continue off that a bit, and also to think about what the resurrection means for us today. The chapter uh, that I'll be looking at, um, oh, sorry, that slide's not working. Can you go to the um, first slide, please, Anne? The chapter that, um, that I want to look at is, uh, mainly look at today, is First Corinthians 15. Beautiful, beautiful chapter. Thanks, Anne. For the, for, the, for the Apostle Paul, the resurrection was of absolutely critical importance. And he, and he writes, if you read his letters, he writes often to the, to the early churches about it, like this one that we're looking at today in 1 Corinthians 15. He says this, Let me now remind you. So this is 1 Corinthians 15, reading from verse 1. Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you, unless, of course, you believed something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was, of most, what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. 
Christ died for our sins, just as the, as, as the Scriptures said. He was buried and He was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scriptures said. Paul says he's passed on what is most important. And what's most important is that Jesus Christ died for our sins. He was buried and was raised from the dead. So it's the death, the death and the resurrection of Jesus is the most important part of the good news. Most, impar- most important part of the good news message. And then he continues. I wonder if the clicker will work now. Yeah, it's a miracle. Paul continues, reading from verse 5. He was seen by Peter. He's talking about Jesus. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some of them have died. Then he was seen by James, not me. (laughs) I'm in fact 2,000 and... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, there's been some other Jameses, right? Uh, and then he was seen by James and later by all of the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. For I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. It, it seems to me that Paul is, is really, he's going out of his way to map out evidence for Jesus' resurrection. He's telling the Corinthians, the church in Corinth, in Corinth, that they can actually go and talk to people, go and talk to first-hand eyewitnesses and find out what they saw. Like he's saying, they're still alive. Some of that five, those 500 are still alive. Find out what they saw. So why do you think he's, he's trying to emphasise evidence for the resurrection? Well... The ancient Greek, Iskalos. <laughs> I had to look up here, he pronounced his name. He was a, uh, the, called the father of the Greek, of the Greek tragedies. He, he died in 456 BC and he wrote, Once a man has died and the dust has soaked up his blood, there is no resurrection. So for the ancient people, just like today, the dead stay dead. <laughs> there are many, many ideas, many different ideas about what happens after death, but one thing doesn't happen. The dead don't come back to life. <coughs> so sometimes people, when, they, when they're talking about, um, talk about ancient times, sometimes they say, well, back in the olden days, back in the ancient times, people had all kinds of weird beliefs and they were, uh, they were far more credulous, which means that they were ready to believe without any, any evidence. But today we're far more sophisticated, aren't we? We're far more intelligent. <laughs> we have the science. <laughs> we have the AI. <laughs> C.S. Lewis, he called this out as, as chronological snobbery, which is quite a cool turn of phrase. It's like this idea that we're smarter now than they used to be. But for the people hearing Paul, and, and, and other early Christians, when they're talking about Jesus being resurrected, they would have been shocked. Dead people don't come back to life, Paul. <laughs> what are you talking about? And so Paul emphasises some evidence. He goes, well, you might not believe me, but you can actually go out and find people who saw Jesus and have a talk to them. There's 500 of them, maybe more, maybe less. 
And what, like, the only reason that he would say something like that is if those people actually existed, that those people actually were out there that you could kind of have a yarn to. In the, in the Gospels, the very first person to, to see the empty tomb, the tomb where Jesus uh, was laid after he died, the first person to see the empty tomb and to discover that Jesus had been resurrected were women, Mary and Mary. And, the, and this is significant as well, because back in ancient times, and this sounds pretty awful, but the testimonies of women didn't, didn't count for much. Women had, had low social status, and their testimonies were not accepted as evidence in court. So sometimes when people say, oh, this whole story is made up, it's a fabrication or it's propaganda. But if you're, go- if you're going to make up a story, 2,000 years ago, if you're going to make up a story uh, about a crucified man rising from the dead, then you probably wouldn't have women as the first witnesses if you're making this up. Because nobody, back in the time, the people didn't believe what women said in terms of testimony. In fact, when you read, when you read the resurrection accounts, when you read it, the, the, the first people to hear that Jesus was resurrected, they don't come across all that flash, like Alex and Hannah highlighted us last week. They just didn't believe. They didn't believe the woman. They didn't believe anybody. And it's, not, it's only until you know, Jesus finally appears to the 11 disciples and he rebukes them. He tells them off because they wouldn't believe to the testimony of these people. So I reckon if, if it was me making up the story, then I would, have, I would have written the story and I would have painted these first witnesses in a much better light. You know? I'd make them look a whole lot better. The, the first accounts, here's another uh, useful thing to know is that the first accounts of the empty tomb and the eyewitnesses were actually not in the Gospels, but in the letters of Paul, the letters that Paul wrote. And these were just 15 to 20 years after the, after the death of Jesus. So really, really soon after Jesus uh, died and was resurrected. These, these letters were sent to churches and they were read out publicly in the churches. So you might have a Bible here with you today or you might have an app or uh, something like that. The, the stories that you have in there, like just the story, the, the, the scriptures that we're reading this morning are the same scriptures, the same letters that were being read to people 2,000 years ago. amazing, isn't it? So if these stories weren't true, if these stories weren't true, these letters that Paul was writing, they weren't true. If there weren't living eyewitnesses to the resurrected Jesus, if the tomb was not empty, then these stories could have easily, I think, easily have been, have been shut down. You just go, well, the tomb wasn't empty. Or, uh, like, here's the body, you know, here's the body of that guy that died. Or, um, all these people as a mass hallucination or whatever it was, right? These stories could have been shut down. It would have been the end of the story. And instead, here we are today reading the same text, such as what we just read, you know. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised from the dead on the third day. And this leads us on to the existence of, of the church itself. This is so encouraging. The existence of the church itself. It's very hard to explain the explosive growth of the church without the resurrection of Jesus being true. Alex, Alex mentioned this last week. Almost all of the apostles were martyred for their faith. Uh, Blaise Pascal, he put it like this, I believe those witnesses that get their throats cut. You know? 
Why would they have been so willing to die when you look at the, when you read the stories in the, in the New Testament and you actually hear sort of the other historical accounts? Why would they have been so willing to die? Well, I shouldn't say so willing to die. Why would they have been willing to die and to even be, die, be killed horrifically unless they deeply believed this message that they were sharing? And Paul, Paul says later on in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, why should we risk lives hour by hour? In, in verse 32, he goes, and what value was there in fighting wild beasts, those people of Ephesus, if there will be no resurrection from the dead? Uh, something had happened to these people. Something had happened to them. And this, it was involved a fundamental shift. And they, what had happened if you, you might agree with me or you might not, but what I think happened is they encountered the risen Lord and they were transformed. They were transformed inwardly. And what I think is really, really cool is that there's so much more that can be, that can be said on this topic. When you, when you start digging into evidence that supports the story of Jesus' Jesus' resurrection. And, and I really encourage you, especially if you're, if you're seeking or you're wanting to know more, if you're wanting to know if Jesus is the real deal, then, then really, you actually owe it to yourself. If you're seriously seeking, you go, Jesus, does, does Jesus, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Then you owe it to yourself. And this book that I've, I've, I will be quoting from it a little bit more, The Reason, the Reason for God by Tim Keller, is, is a great read. He's a, he's a great writer, and it's, uh, he's got this, it's just a really um, easy book to sort of like re, read into. If, but for all of us, I think that when we, when we think about these things, it actually, it actually builds up our faith. It's almost like it starts here. It builds up our faith where we kind of go, oh, I, I just go, oh, awesome. <laughs> there's, there's evidence that this happened. <laughs> I need reminding. I've got, I've got a short-term memory. I'm like a goldfish. I need reminding. And it encourages, as we, encourage, you know, we read the stuff and we encourage our minds, it encourages our hearts and it builds up our faith. Also, reflecting on the resurrection of Jesus actually shifts our perspective. So, reading from Tim Keller. And he writes this chapter, it's called The Reality of the Resurrection. He says this, After the death of Jesus, the entire Christian Christian community suddenly adopted a set of beliefs that were brand new and until that point had been unthinkable. The first Christians had a resurrection-centred view of reality. They believed that the future resurrection had already begun in Jesus. They believed that Jesus had a transformed body that could walk through walls yet eat food. (laughs) I know, that does sound awesome. Get me to the kitchen. You don't even have to go through a door. All right, right, I'm going to the fridge. I don't even have to open the door. I love that. This was not simply a resuscitated body like the Jews envisioned, nor solely a spiritual existence like the Greeks imagined. Jesus' resurrection guaranteed our resurrection and brought some of that future life into our hearts now. I think next week I'm going to dig into that a little bit more. I'm already getting excited for next Sunday. It's quite fun. But the, the, early, the early Christians had a, had a resurrection-centred view of reality. And like it wasn't something that they simply believed and go, that, that was that, um, and then we move on. Resurrection had this, had this present power uh, available for them. 
One of the big shifts was how they, how they viewed their, their present lives. They began to have this future present perspective. Like we, I mentioned it before, no longer, no longer afraid of death. Death had lost its sting. I think that also having that, having that future perspective of going, uh, of thinking about the resurrection, um, it shifts how, how, how tightly we hold on to things today. Like maybe it's maybe it's possessions or or uh, or hobbies or whatever it is. Like if we go well, we've got, our future resurrection is guaranteed in Jesus. Then then all of this stuff it kind of becomes a little bit a little bit less important in a sense. The resurrection has power for us today. You can read uh, you can read about that in Philippians three ten. The resurrection means means hope for today and hope for the future. I'm going to continue on in. Uh, what Paul writes in first, in first uh, uh, not that one, first Corinthians fifteen, reading from verse twelve, he says, "But tell me this: since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are you some of you, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless." He's very blunt, isn't he? <laughs> He's like, all this is useless. And we apostles would be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless. <laughs> and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our faith and if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. I love that line. But in fact, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So if Christ didn't rise from the dead, then our faith is useless. Even our very best preaching is useless. But in fact, Christ has been raised. Has been raised. Therefore, death is not the end of all life. Instead, we, we can actually have, the, have this posture of like looking forward to resurrection when we die. And this is huge. This is huge. But, but it's not all. There's, there's actually this present reality that, that I think we can embrace. Romans 8.10. Romans 8.10 says, And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Jesus, in, in defeating death, proves that he is the ultimate authority and validates everything he said. He really is the resurrection and the life. 
He really is the King of Kings, like what we were singing about this morning. He really is the Son of God. He really is the way, the truth, and the life. He really is among us. During the week, I was thinking about some of the outrageous claims we make as a church, that God is among us when we gather in His name. But He really is. If he, this is what Jesus said. If you gather, if two or three are gathered in my name, then I am there in your midst. And if he rose from the dead, then everything he said is true. He really is among us when we gather in his name, even now, even when we can't see him. <laughs> A way maker, right? We really can abide in him just as he is abides in the Father. He really is the bread of life. He really is the water the water that never runs out, the well that never runs dry. We really can live because He lives. He really will return one day and make all things new. Having a, having a resurrection-centred view of reality means that there are, there are no hopeless causes. If the, Spirit of God, if the Spirit of God can raise Jesus from the dead, then He can do anything. He could do anything. Nothing is impossible. If Jesus did rise from the dead, then God can do anything. There's no hopeless causes. Nothing is impossible for God. We might have, we might have had struggles in our own lives for years and years and years and years and years and years. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps some of these struggles, are, they come from not living in alignment with, with what we know is the way of God. You're practicing sin. Perhaps we have addictions or unhealthy behaviour or other things that we've been struggling with. But resurrection means that we are not hopeless causes. Amen. We're not hopeless causes. The Spirit of God at work within us can bring, bring freedom. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is within us. The Spirit of God within us can bring freedom. And that's just such a hopeful, hopeful perspective. Towards the end of uh, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul exclaims, Thank God He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So you're not a hopeless cause. I'm not a hopeless cause. And people, people around us who are not here, right? I don't know what your workmates are like. Some of them might be quite prickly. Some of them might be quite antagonistic towards Christians. I work at university. I won't say anything about my workmates. But, you know, sometimes it's... Um, Sometimes it's, you know, we, we, we're around people that, that's, that's, that are quite antagonistic, let's say, towards, towards Jesus. But there's no hopeless causes. We might have workmates, schoolmates, family members who seem so far from God. But here's, the, here's what we can do. We can, we can pray. <laughs> we can pray for them. There might, be no, there might be no one else that is praying for them. But we can pray and we know that... Jesus was raised from the dead. Therefore, there's no hopeless causes. Paul, the Apostle Paul, just think about him. He'd been persecuting churches. He'd been like literally dragging people out of their houses, men and women, dragging them off to prison. Talk about a hopeless cause, eh? And yet he's on the way, on his walk to, on his walk to Damascus to persecute more churches and the risen Lord appears to him, completely transforming him. There are no hopeless causes. And so I think the, sort of the, we, we have this incentive to then pray for, the, pray for those people. In, in some ways, even to, even to pray especially for the ones that seem the furthest away from God. You know, we, 
We can pray for the ones we love. We can pray for the ones that we, if we're honest, we don't love very much, right? Pray that God shows them his love. And, and then Paul finishes this chapter, finishes chapter 15 with this, with this encouragement. <laughs> so my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Isn't that encouraging? Resurrection, remember this whole chapter has been about resurrection, means that nothing we do for the Lord is ever useless. Whether it's something small or hidden, or something something, major, big in public, Our days, our days, every day, every moment has meaning and purpose because He lives. So at the same time, we have this interesting tension, like looking forward to being resurrected in Christ, right? being, being fully immersed in, the, in that incredible uh, vision of the presence of God that we read about in the book of Revelation. So we look forward to that. But at the same time, we kind of go, but every day, every moment, has, has purpose and meaning because he lives. And, and this is some of the things that having a resurrection-centred view of reality actually brings to us. The, the Greek word for resurrection is anastasis, or if you're Kiwi, anastasis, <laughs> anastasis. And it literally means making to stand upright. Perhaps, so perhaps in, if, you know, in, t- in today you'd say, itzu, anastasis, stand upright. And, and I wonder if that's what God is inviting into. It's as, it's as though, and I think this is something that was happening during, during worship, as though he's like standing there by us. He's like walking among us. And, and, and we might feel like we might be standing up physically, but inside we're actually like lying in a heap on the ground, you know aware of our brokenness, aware of our struggles, aware of the challenges that we're, we're facing. It's as though the Lord is kind of going, no, anastasis, right? It's who. And it's like he's, 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 he's offering, he's putting out his hand, he's pulling us to our feet, taking our, taking our brokenness and, and making us whole in him. He's here, here to give hope. Hope to the hopeless, to give to the peace for the for the anxious, to give life to the dying. <laughs> I always get encouraged by little things that happen, uh, and, and so this week I was preparing, uh, as I was preparing my message, uh, Anna sent me the songs that you do that she that they prepared for the worship set this morning. And one of the songs was that one that we sang, Oh, praise, oh, praise the name. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. And in brackets, the title of that song is Anastasis. I'm like, yes, <laughs> so encouraging, so encouraging. And then when I open up the Bible app this morning, have you got the Bible app, You vision Bible app? Open up that. This is the, the verse of the day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? And I, and I just sort of, when I read this morning, I was almost like God asking, you know, almost like saying, saying that to me or saying that to us. 
do you believe this? You know, do you believe this? You might even picture Jesus like saying that to you. Do you believe this? Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? So it'd be cool to have the uh, the worship band, and um, I've asked them to. Can we sing that song again, guys? <laughs> can we sing that song again? I love it. And, and as even as we sing, even as we sing or, or worship the Lord again in song this morning, you, you might picture. Or you might imagine Jesus actually like, like pulling you to your feet and like, like whispering those words of, of resurrection in your ears, whispering like anastasis in your ear, etu! And, and actually like, like drawing you into life. You go, Lord, I'm, I don't know, I don't know where I'm at, Lord, with you today, but I want to know, I want to know you more and I want to step more into this resurrection life that, you, that you've provided for me. It might also be be a time to sort of like, um, you know, you might become aware. The Holy Spirit sometimes, uh, like He convicts us of, of, our, of our sin. And He doesn't do this to make us feel awful. He actually, he actually does this to, um, to kind of go, James, this is something that you're holding on to, but it's time to be free of that so you can walk in freedom. And so it's this invitation. And so you might open yourself up to that and even in this moment go, Lord, will you search my heart? Search my heart. Lead me in the way everlasting. Would you lead me in your ways of freedom today, Jesus? I lay it all down to you, for you again. So you might want to, as, as we sing, you might want to, you know, you might want to stand right at the start or actually you might want to take your time. You might want to continue sitting and almost like to, to respond as, as you feel the Lord calling you. There's no rules about standing or sitting, is there, Kirsten? You can sit, stand, or do them both at the same time. <laughs> so we welcome you, Holy Spirit. Thank you that, that you're here, you're moving in this place. It, and even in uh, Lord, as we as we as we lift up our voices to you, and as we as we sing the songs of these, sing the sing the words of the song, Lord, would you, would you would you speak your truth, words of truth, into our hearts? Would you take sometimes what what we've heard, maybe what what's in our minds, and would you actually like shift that into into our hearts? Would you would you build up our faith this morning? We, I speak to speak to fear and, and anxiety, especially today, to be gone in the name of Jesus, and to be gone in the name of the resurrection, Lord. Death has lost its sting. Death has been dismantled by what you've done, Jesus. And you, there's nothing to be afraid of. Let your peace uh, permeate this place. I come, Holy Spirit. Anxiety, like fall, falling away now in your name, Jesus. We bless you, God.
You are mine.